If you never listened to the last week, please do, because it sets the stage for what I want to share with you today in some ways. I'm going to recap a little, but I want to you to get the full picture. Last week, we talked about what it means to live lives that are holy. After all, that is the command that God gave us. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't an option. It was not a choice we have as Christians. God said in Leviticus, be holy as I am holy. And Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter reiterated that um, in 1 Peter. He, said, he, he quotes exactly what God said. He said, for you are holy as I am holy, says the Lord. So I want us to recognise that this, this idea of holiness or living lives that are holy is really not a choice for us. That was last week. And Peter reminds his followers of his day, and I think they're very pertinent for us in 1 Peter 1. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. I love that little phrase. That When I think of that, I instantly go to Romans 12 where we have our mind transformed. And Peter's saying, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes into our heart, there is a there's this grace. God has given us a gift that we did not deserve through Jesus Christ. So as obedient children, those of us who have given our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, not conforming to the former ways or former lusts as in our ignorance or your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. And this is where he quotes God in from Leviticus because it is written, be holy for I am holy. That is... A heavy verse, and we could spend a long time pulling that apart, but I'm not going to. But I want to say right at the outset that right there in that passage is the struggle that most of us have as Christians we face in our Christian walk. Right there is what we tend to all struggle with. When Peter tells us that in order to be obedient children, that we are to not conform to the former lusts, and desires that we had before we became a Christian, we all become very aware very quickly of between what we know we ought to do and what we actually do. There is a constant battle from the moment you and I have given our hearts, and if we've not done that, I'm pre-warning you because it, the Christian life is the best option for you. But be very aware that when that step is taken, there is a battle that takes place that we have the capability with God's help of winning between what we were doing and, and what we know we should be doing. And the battle is what Paul describes for himself in Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 7, where he says, for the good that I will to do, the good that I want to do, that's what he's saying, I don't do. But the evil I will not to do or the evil I don't want to do, that I practice. Tell me you haven't been there. I think 
Almost every single person who has ever lived can relate to that sentiment. That why is it that the very things that we, we don't want to do, we do, and the things that we do need to do, we don't? We struggle with that. And it doesn't take long for us to realise that it's not just about praying the right prayer or, or keeping to a set formula so that we can actually make it happen because we all find that once things get a little bit stale, once we've been in this for a little while, we find that we tend to go back to the things that we used to do where we were comfortable. We all do it. So there has to be another way because praying about it and, and trying in our own strength to do it doesn't work. We will fail. It has to be another way. Otherwise, God is being very cruel in asking us to be holy as he is holy. Especially if it wasn't possible for us to be holy like that. But if we know anything, anything at all of the character of God is that he is not cruel. He is kind, he's loving, he's compassionate, he's just, he's righteous. But the one thing that he is not is cruel. He is not cruel. So if God commands us to be holy as he is holy, it must be possible. Otherwise, it would be outside of the character of God to ask us to do that. And I, it must not only be possible, but I believe that if when we live this life of holiness, it will also fulfill us to completely fill us in the, in, from our basic needs that we talked about last week. And I, the, the fullness of what God, this life of holiness will completely fulfill us fulfilling each of those basic needs. So last week we looked at what holiness is and I made the statement right up front, it's better to say what it's not to start with. And holiness isn't, or living a holy life is not about never making a mistake. It's not absolute perfection. Holiness is more about our, our desire, our mindset, our intent. So when it comes to living a life that is holy because we're a Christian, because we're following Jesus Christ, it's not so much about what we do, but more about why we do what we do. It's the heart. It's the intent of the heart to do why, what we're doing. Even in the Garden of Eden, this is pointed out to us very clearly, it was not the fruit of the tree that, that was evil. It's not the fruit itself that was evil at all, but the desire of man to be like God, the desire of man to not be satisfied with what they were or have and choose to disobey. The fruit had nothing to do with it. It was, it was man's choice. It was man's desire. Um, in the New Testament, the Pharisees' outward appearance of righteousness was the very reason that they were less righteous than they, than they seemed. God, uh, Jesus pointed that out. They, they wear all these fancy clothes. They walk with their noses in the air. They, they carry Bible verses everywhere and they look 
righteous, but their very act of righteousness was what caused them to be less righteous than they should have been. It's, it's more to do with our attitude than it is to do with our actions. So we can be very pious and we can walk around like we have it all together, but realistically, that's going to count for very little when it comes to the kingdom of God because we talked about it in 1 Samuel last week that God's looking at the inward part of us, the heart. Man looks at the outward part of us. God looks at the heart. And so it's not about what we do as much as it's about why we do what we do. And it's about our actions and holiness of life is about our purity of attitude and their motive more than it is about never making a mistake. Mind you, our desire is to be living without making a whole heap of mistakes. So today I want to take a little bit deeper look at what it means to give our heart to Jesus because I think there there begins a clue as to why we are in a culture where um, no longer as a nation are we recognised as a Christian nation, but even when we were, there were many who weren't. So I think it's possible that in churches around our country and certainly around the world, but certainly here in our state, um, there are many people who are in church who, who really are there for different reasons than they should be perhaps. I, I believe that, that we, rec- we need to recognise that there are, when Peter speaks these words in the New Testament, be holy for I am holy, and God uses that same phrase or he speaks that phrase in the Old Testament, they are spoken to the children of God. They are spoken to believers. So when we're not, I'm not wanting to put this on those who have not stepped into a life of faith because those words were to those who were children of God. And there are a lot of phrases being thrown around in our culture about being born again and giving our life to Jesus and yet the the phrases that come with it don't always add up to what we see from a scriptural point of view. So what does a genuine believer look like? How can we know if we are on the right path for this? Excuse me. But while there is a desire to do the, it's not only desire being the first thing, our desire needs to be the beginning of of this desire for us to be uh, in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. If we don't want that, then you know what? It doesn't matter what we do. It's not going to happen. If our conversion is genuine, it's, it's the first thing from our perspective at least And it's where everything else grows from it because if desire is not there, then you can be in church for your entire life and miss out on the kingdom of heaven if you don't want to receive Jesus into your life. Now, I don't want that for anyone. I I certainly don't want it for myself. And and yet I, I know that there are a bunch of people across this world who would probably fit into that category. There are a lot of times when, you know, we we wonder how could that person say they're a Christian yet do the things that they're doing. And it's usually at this point that that many many people in church 
particularly uh, next, uh, next week, I think, or the week after, I want to share my experience as I was growing up. But it's when we grow up in church or we grow up in a Christian family, uh, we, we struggle with this point of doing the right thing against desiring to do the right thing. Why? Because our behavior changed a long time before our desire to change happened. What do I mean by that? Well, deep down, many of us who grew up in the church or grew up in a Christian family grew up wanting to do the same things as our non-Christian friends did. We wanted to do that. We saw them enjoying going out for parties. We saw them having fun doing things that we would long to do, but we were told they were forbidden by the church and by our parents. A good Christian lad or a good Christian girl shouldn't do those things. And so we grew up doing the right thing, even though our heart was wanting to do what everyone else was doing. And our behavior was changed a long time before our desire to change happened. So we didn't, so we didn't do it, or at least we made sure we didn't get caught doing it. Maybe we didn't do it, but inside the desire was there. And usually what happened was as soon as the opportunity came to, to move away from our parents' watchful eye, we did what we were once forbidden to do. We tried all those things that we longed to do as a child, but we were not allowed to do. Why? Because that was where our desire lay. We used terms like we had to get out of the, into the world. We had to experience life. Uh, we had to spread our wings and, and we had to try these things so we knew how we could, could uh, relate to those sorts of people. We, we used phrases like we wanted to experience freedom. We've been so tied down under the bondage of, of parenthood and church. We wanted to experience more life and before too long, those new experiences became the normal for most of albeit them still being a secret part of what we were doing. And that's the exact problems that many of us found ourselves in and why many still feel guilty and unworthy of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to read you a quote from Martin Luther. He says, In your appearance and conduct you observe the law owing to your fear and of punishment or hope of reward. Yet you do nothing from free choice and out of love for the law. But unwillingly and under compulsion, were there no law, you would rather do something else. Think about that. Leave it on the screen for a second. Think about that. Right there is the struggle that we have, certainly in our new Christian faith. We are more interested in doing the right thing and to make sure that we appear to be doing the right thing than we are to actually be doing the right thing for the right reason. We want to appear to our Christian friends that we're actually okay, but, but realistically, we have no regard for doing that for that reason at all. We're just turning up. And that was what Jesus 
was discussing and, and really that whole context in Mark, Mark chapter 7 when he made this comment, he says there's nothing that enters a man from outside that can defile him, but the things that come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. So what Jesus is saying, he, sa- he actually adds a little bit after that. He says, if you have ears, listen. What Jesus is saying at that point is that whatever the desire that we have is what is going to defile us. It's not the outward appearance. It's not the things that come on us from the outside. It's not the things that happen to us. It's the desire of the heart that defile us. And if that's that's the case, it's absolutely reasonable to conclude that it's possible to sin without doing anything. And it's also possible on the other side of the coin for someone who is a sinner to be saved even before they pray because it's nothing to do with what we do. It's the attitude of our heart. It's really about what's going on in the heart and that's all, almost always not always immediately demonstrated in the practical. And here's the question I, I want you to think about. I've, I've asked this some years ago, but I think it's a really good question. It challenges me every time I read it. And I think, you know what, I've got to say that again. What if, what if God allowed us to do anything we wanted for the next 24 hours and he promised never to keep a record of it, never to mention it again, never to hold it against us, never to have anything to do with it. But he said, you can do anything you like for the next 24 hours and no one will know. Not even me, says God. What if that happened? What would you do? How faithful would you be to your spouse or to your Christian faith, the body of Christ? How faithful would you be to you? the law of God, the the biblical process of that. How would that be our invitation to try all these other things that others do that we long to do? Or would in the midst of there being no record of it, no one knowing about it, we actually live the way that we're supposed to? What would you do? I know most of you would think, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. But I'm not even sure about myself. I'd like to think that. I'm glad God doesn't put us to the test on some of those things. But reality is, what would you do if you could do anything you wanted, knowing that no one would ever know? Would we, in that moment, be drawn into doing something that we shouldn't? Doing something that we always wondered what it would be like. And the fact that God wouldn't hold it against us, that he wouldn't remember it, well, that was just an open invitation to try it. That's exactly the point Luther was saying in that quote. True holiness, living the holy life, is not about doing the right thing. There has to be something greater that causes us to desire to do the right thing regardless of the reward or fear of judgment in Luther's words or the fact that there's going to be some greater opportunity because of that. And there is. That's good news. The real miracle of our conversion is 
part of that good news. It's not just that our sins are forgiven. They are forgiven. But in that process of having our sins forgiven, God deals with the desire to sin as well. It's not that he's just said, oh, well, all your past stuff is dealt with. You can move on. He does that. But then he says, you know what? I'm going to take away the desire to do the wrong things anymore. Your, your desire shifts from not caring to caring about everything. Our sin actually becomes undesirable for us. We don't want to sin anymore. So if God were to give me a 24-hour period of grace to do anything I wanted to, I would not want to because it would not be my desire to do anything wrong except to serve and honour him. It's not that we are saved from our sins, but it is God's desire to do a work in us so big that he deals with the bias or the bent toward doing sinful things and being sinful in our lifestyle. We not only commit, uh, quit committing our sin, but we also quit liking that. And that is a, that is a huge shift to come from, from someone who recognises that we are unworthy, sinful in every respect, and God comes into our life through the, the Jesus Christ and, and changes our desire. He gives us a whole new beginning. And he says, I'm going to give you a new heart, a new desire. No longer do you want to do or will to do the other things. You will now desire to do what I want to do. Doesn't that sound like a blessing? That's a huge blessing. It's a, he's a good, good father. And that's huge. Not only does God fulfill our desire to be saved, but he actually steps in and enables us to live a life worthy of his calling. Paul expresses it in the verse we read last week in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. I told you it was going to come up through this series. I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, Paul, beseech you, here he says it, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness or humility and gentleness, with long-suffering or patience, bearing with one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are urged, that's what beseech means, we are really, Paul saying, I just want you to do this, to walk your life, to live your life in a manner that's worthy of the life to which you are called. As Christians, a life of holiness. So how can we be sure that our, our, our salvation was genuine and not just an emotional response at the time? Well, the Scriptures tell us that when the Holy Spirit comes in at salvation, our life changes. Everything changes. We cannot make the decision to follow Jesus Christ and still have the desires that we had before. It's just not possible. It's like me saying that I can walk, be walking down this path, going this direction, make a decision here to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and just keep on walking. I have to do a 180 degree turn and return to where or go the direction that God is leading me. So when Jesus comes into my life, it's not possible to still go on doing what I used to do. And he promises us 
that he will be with us. And the point one, we're going to zip through these relatively fast, so don't panic too long. God changes the heart as well as the action. There's your points if you're filling out anything. And what that means is that our heart, our passion, our desires all change to be in alignment with what God wants us to do now. No longer are we following the way of the world. We've done a U-turn to follow the way of God. All our, our will, our, our goals, all take a second place in our life now because our desire is to choose His will and recognise His goals for my life. I might still... They, some of them might be in alignment and so some of them may not have to change, but I've got to come to the point where I want to accept his will, his guidance, his goals, his plan for my life and put aside mine. That's the choice I need to make. So if I have given my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, that should become evident pretty quickly. We no longer have to worry about our future and what might happen. We don't have to worry if we suddenly hear, for instance, that Jesus is coming back today. We don't have to think, oh, but I haven't. I've heard people say, I hope he doesn't come back before I get married. Or I've got this huge party happening. Jesus can't come before that happens. I've heard those comments you know what? It would be a bigger party if Jesus came back. And we wouldn't have to worry about all the planning. But when we give our life to Jesus Christ, it's his desire to change us. And from the inside out, he wants us to, he wants to renew our mind. That's what Romans 12 says, a transformation of our mind so that we can know and understand God's will for us. That's what Romans 12, 2 says. He puts a new spirit in us called, we call it, his Holy Spirit in us so that we can not just start afresh, but the Holy Spirit, part of the Holy Spirit's purpose is to guide us toward what is right and true. It's to help us make the right steps. So if we were traveling here, we've given our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're walking back this one and we've, we are tempted. It's not wrong to be tempted, but we're tempted to do something. The Holy Spirit will step in and say, you know what? You really shouldn't. And we have a choice. The desire is to, I, I've made a decision. I want to, I'm choosing and desire to follow the Holy Spirit's leading, even though these other options are available. But now I want to do what the Holy Spirit is leading me to. I want to be obedient to God. And that's what God describes in, in Ezekiel about giving us a new heart. He says, I'll give them a new heart or one heart. I'll put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a fresh heart of flesh, a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. That's why he gives us those things so that we can be fully obedient to the plan and will that he has for us. And they shall be... My people, he says, and I will be their God. He takes out our old stony heart, the worldly thinking, the, the old way of walking, and he puts into our hearts his desires. He changes us. So when our conversion is genuine, our whole reason 
for living shifts. When we give our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and it's genuine, what we are saying is it's no longer do I want to divide my time between what the world wants me to do and what God wants me to do. My, my decision is to do God's, uh, God's work, God's stuff. I, I choose this, even though there are other options and some of them are good, but they're not godly. And I choose godly because that's what God has done in my heart. I, I'm so grateful. He's a good, good God. And when I consider what he has done on the cross for me, who am I to complain about some things that go wrong in my life? It's a shift. My desire is now to serve God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, to love my neighbour as genuinely as I love myself. I become, I become undivided in my commitment, unwavering in my commitment to him. And it's, it's he who I am serving. He takes first priorities in my decisions. And if God says it, then I want to do that, what he says. And when our conversion is genuine, spiritual growth, point two, is evident in our life. It becomes this beacon, if you like, that others recognize when the Holy Spirit begins his work in us, there will be a hunger for learning and growing spiritually. There, there is always a hunger for spiritual things when God comes in. He, he puts in us a desire. We find ourselves eager to be involved in, in, a, in a way we can be taught in a small group. We, we can... We, can soak up as much as we can as we learn to be Christ-like in our lives. It will be that our life becomes regular and consistent to do the things that God wants us to do. And sometimes, just sometimes, it may even feel like God is speaking just to you. And you recognise it. No longer will we be satisfied with or even be comfortable doing the things that we did once upon a time. The old life will be something we turn away from because we will not want to offend our creator. What we find is that God even takes away the desire to do what's wrong and we become convicted of wrong life choices that we make along the way. It's not that God takes away the temptation to do wrong, but rather the temptation doesn't become the, the purpose for which we do it any longer. The temptation to do wrong or to push boundaries. You know those little things we say, you know what, I'm a Christian so I'm not allowed to do this but I can go as close as I possibly can. We do it. Many of us find ourselves pushing the boundaries in the things that we say, uh, in our actions, in our thought life. We push the boundaries knowing that we can't just step over, but given the opportunity, we probably would. Our worship will not be dependent on how we feel. So we can come to corporate times of worship like today and it won't depend upon how we feel, but it will depend on who we are. We worship not because we feel like worshipping, although hopefully we do, 
But even if we don't feel like it, our desire in our heart is to show honour, glory and thankfulness to our Creator, to worship Him because He is worthy of worship. It won't be about my, my things that are happening in my life anymore. We no longer will we be satisfied or even comfortable doing things, thinking things, behaving in ways. We become convicted of wrong choices. We discover that while it might not be impossible to sin, God actually gives us the ability not to. And that's important for us to understand that he does not take away the possibility of sin, but he, he makes it possible for us not to. It begins with our desire, our, our want to overcome, our desire. If we don't want that, it's never going to happen. But once our desire change, God steps in and, and helps us through that process. It's not all to do with me. I don't have to, to worry about if my desire is right, God will take care of the rest. If I really want to grow, leave it to God. Follow him. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. If we don't truly want to stop doing it, then we'll never make any long-term changes in our life. We'll do what we've always done, getting what we've always got, whinging about it and complaining that nothing ever happens. We, we have a free will to choose. Thanks be to God, we don't have to choose to sin. That's on me and it's on you. God promises that he will always provide us with an escape when we are tempted 1 Corinthians 10, 13, if you want to look it up. He promises that there is no temptation that any man has experienced that God has not provided a way through for those who believe. The Holy Spirit, whom he has placed in me, guides me to do what is right. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes, No eye has seen, or sorry, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit in us. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that we have been freely given to us by God. That's the role that the Holy Spirit plays. And these things we also speak not in words which which is man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Now that the Holy Spirit is in us, we begin to hear and understand the spiritual truths that God wants for us, comparing spiritual things with with spiritual, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. They think we're crazy for doing that, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. It can only happen when the Holy Spirit is in us, genuine conversion. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. We have it. We can know the mind of Christ. Praise be to the Lord. When we have genuinely received, accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, He gives us the mind, His mind. 
We know his thoughts. We know what he needs to, we need to do. We can know his ways. We know his will. Why? Because he, we have the mind of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to choose to do what is right through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And when our conversion is genuine, number three, there will be a desire to be generous, generous to others. Why? Because we will genuinely love our neighbour as ourself. Our heart will break because we see our, our friends and family going to a Christless eternity. Our desire for them changes now to the things that we now have and enjoy. There will be a desire to, to tell them and to share what has happened in my life so, because it has been so, so good. We'll give generously to those who are in need, not just in finances, but in finances and time and resources and things. We'll be generous with what we have. We'll regard things not as our own, but that they, we are a steward of them where God has given us these things that they might be distributed and used according to his will and his purpose. So no longer is there mine and hers or mine and mine. It's God's. It's all his. And we need to be good stewards of that. Not hold back in our desire to serve. Using gifts that God has for us because God has given us gifts to use in serving him and honouring him. When we need to serve in ministry, it'll be a delight to serve. It's not, oh, I've got to be on a roster today. I've got to go to church. I jokingly said to my wife this morning, <clears throat> it was a joke. Um, she said to me, she said, you know what? I, I haven't actually got anything. I'm not on any roster today and I've got no grandkids. And I said, you might as well stay home. <laughs> and she said, do you want me to? <laughs> no. Our desire is to worship. We get to worship. We get to serve. It's, it's not that we have to anymore. The, the mentality shifts to, you know what? I can't wait because I get to serve today. I get to help out. It's, a, it's, a it's not a job, it's a joy. Paul writes again in 2 Corinthians, he says, let everyone give, sorry, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And while Paul is specifically talking about tithing in that passage or giving in that passage, the principle carries over to everything that we offer to the Lord or are given to the Lord, whether it's money, time, resources, or any other thing that we desire to give, that God wants us to give, that we have. We surrender our will into his will. And when our conversion is genuine, our thinking and our attitude shifts from I've got to to I get to. And that's a wonderful shift. Our whole, whole mental shift happens and serving becomes a joy. It's pleasant because, you know what? I'm worshipping the Lord even in my serving. A heart that longs to and needs to wholeheartedly give without reluctance or bitterness 
we shouldn't as a church need to call upon those outside of the church for money because God's people are giving people and we're supporting people. And I've got to say, I've been in a couple of different churches, but I've, there's never been a time where I've been so blessed and seen the generosity so much as I see in this church. You need to be commended for your faithfulness in your giving. Don't stop, but it's, it's a commendation to you. Everything that you see on this property has been paid for internally. It's a joy to be part of this church in that regard. Because when God's people are giving and supporting one another, the word of God gets into places where it can go like no other way can happen. It won't be hindered. There will be more than enough. The work of God can go out without having to have all these extra concerns of how we're going to pay for it, where it's going to come from. And God's work just gets done and the community gets blessed. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Acts 4. Now the multitudes or the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness of the resurrection or to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for they were all for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of those things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed them to everyone who had need. So let me ask you, as I want to conclude right here, where are you in your Christian walk? Have you seriously, genuinely given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ so that he has changed the way that you think? Or has your decision to follow Jesus Christ come with conditions on your part? I'll do that, Lord, if. Just sort this out for me before. If, if you can just, I will. We've all probably done those things. Has your decision to follow Jesus left with you up with you left you with a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and truth are you hungry for the word of god or has the hunger somehow evaporated over time and we've become a little complacent ho hum in the whole process has your decision to be a follower of Jesus left you with a desire to serve or to give unconditionally, to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel? Or has following Jesus for you and serving him become more of a job or a chore, leaving you frustrated and bitter and angry because everyone else is not pulling their weight? It, it shouldn't be that way. If we are pursuing a life of holiness and we must have a genuine heart change, genuine conversion, where we give up our life and begin, our own life and we begin to live for Jesus Christ. That's how it should be. Where we are willing to not worry about what others think, 
and be obedient to what God expects. And where wherever we, we do or whatever we do, Jesus is the priority for our life. The gospel is central to everything that we do. Being a disciple of Jesus is our desire as we pursue this life of holiness that God has commanded us to live. So contemplate that. Maybe this morning, some of you, I've got to say, let me, before I say that, I was convicted as I was preparing this for today. In my own life, there's things, you know, over time things just happen and, and it, we don't go from bad to worse in one step. It just doesn't happen. It just, you know, sneaks up on you. And as I was preparing this and readying myself for today, I, I, I con- was convicted in some of the things that I had done and thought and, and, and recognised that my attitude stunk in some things. And I apologise to you who have been on the receiving end of that, some of you. I love you with all my heart and I, and I desire that God's will would be done in this place. And if the church is to be healthy, your pastor needs to be healthy. And so I recognise that. So when I say this now, I'm not saying that I've got it all together. I'm working on it. I'm a, I'm a work in progress. I've not done anything, you know, murdered anyone or anything like that yet. Uh, just don't make me cranky. Um, but when I say to you, that if God has been speaking to you, don't be backward in coming forward. I, again, I want to offer to you a time of prayer, group prayer. We'll do it similar to what we did last week. I'm going to stand over here, but if God has been speaking to you and you know you need to make some changes or you know there needs to be some restitution made on your part or God has been working in your life and you just want to publicly declare him as your Lord and Saviour for the very first time even, just come and stand here. We'll pray for you all.